Hello, my love, and hello, gorgeous listeners. How is everyone this week? We hope you're doing really well. Welcome back. Hello, hello, hello. Celeb Culture Podcast. Hosted by me and you. Is that helpful to anyone? We haven't said our names. (laughs) Kathleen and Ellie. Although maybe this is the good opportunity so people know who's who. We can do it. I'm Kathleen. Oh, yeah. The low, gorgeous radio voice. Uh, it's Kathleen. You've got a dulcet tone. No, I don't. As one of my friends said to me when we first started the podcast, she was like, yeah, it sounds great. Kathleen's got a great radio voice. And then nothing about me. <laughs> well, it can't be that bad because most people can't tell who's who. Well, I was thinking actually, maybe because of your nice low voice, maybe we don't sound as similar as people think. I don't know. Let well, us know. Let us know if you're able to actually tell who's who. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm good. So I went to a philosophy festival with my friends at Kenwood House called How the Light Gets In. And we went to a very funny and very topical talk about the animal kingdom uh, by this brilliant zoologist called Lucy Cook, who came on stage in a leopard print um, coat and was oh just God, like so fabulous. Fab. Yeah, she was so clever and so fun. Anyway, and it was about how the manosphere has co-opted um, the like tropes in the animal kingdom to, co- to qualify their arguments about um, gender norms Ooh, and binaries got very relevant post last week's discussion of very relevant and she was like actually it's so ridiculous that we use the animal kingdom to qualify our like binaryism because actually the animal kingdom is not binary at all and it's so diverse that did you know for instance Cathers the morning gecko is a female-only species. No, I've never heard of the morning gecko. Yeah, they don't need men. They clone themselves. So they just wow. make lots of other little female God, clones. how does that even work? I don't know. Well, yeah, they just they just don't need them. And then the whiptail lizard also is an f- all-female species. The seahorse, it's actually the man that gets pregnant. Yes, I did know that. Which is great. And um, she also showed us some very funny pictures of a hyena's clitoris which is an eight inch whopper oh that looks exactly like the the male hyena's penis right and so it's very difficult for a male hyena to get it on with the female hyena because she's you know, you don't want to get on the wrong side of the oh. multitasking clitoris as it was described. Multitasking, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> anyway, it was great and it was just so nice to hear how like actually our obsession with binary is so stupid because if you're thinking about like, the very origins of our species and of the mammal, it was always very diverse. So it's like there's no no such thing as an alpha male. Exactly. And actually there are some species there where the where the matriarch is very much like the most aggressive. Well, that's definitely the case with orcas, isn't it? The yes. women like run the show. Yes. So, um, although one person did try and then ask a really divisive question about like the trans debate, and she was like, "I'm sorry, I only talk about animals," <laughs> which I well, thought was a really good... chic answer. Yeah, exactly. She's like, I'm obsessed with the fact that she was wearing leopard print as well. Like, who knew that zoologists were so cool? I, I love that it was a, a woman and b she was wearing leopard print. I know it was such. It was a feminist. It was the animal kingdom with a feminist lens, yeah. <laughs> a woke feminist lens. I mean, and then she actually so, so fun. She came up, and we all developed I'm a crush on it. her. And then she ran up, ran up to us after the talk and tapped Is on the shoulder and was like it's so great to see men at my talks because often it's just women um and also one woman at the end there was questions and one woman was in tears wow she said i found your talk so moving i think because it was just so like empathetic and just so kind to everyone it was like i don't know it just felt so inclusive oh i'm gonna have to go away and have a little google of some of her other stuff i know she kind of sounds like the kind of person that could have done a ted talk totally yeah um, so yeah, Google Lucy Cook. Anyway, that was my Saturday. But I will share with you the picture of the eight-inch clitoris. Thank you. 
just in case kind. you're interested. Yes. <laughs> Could you imagine how much safer we would feel if we all had eight-inch clitorises wandering around? Oh, God, I don't know. That sounds <laughs> just very strange. <laughs> so, as you guys can see from the headline, it's a guest week this week. We had a very fun Friday together last week where we interviewed the lovely Emma in the morning, <gasps> as you will go on to hear. And then we spent the whole day basically doing work, but also with... The occasional, well, pint for me, cocktail for you. And then in the evening, we actually went to this really amazing new pub in Clapham. So for all the South London Huns, obviously we're in South London. I'm in Ballam, Elsa's in Wandsworth. Very handy. In Old Town. Yeah, called the Apollo Arms. It's a new opening. Mm. Oh, it's so nice, isn't it? It's like proper like countryside charm, but very right in the heart of, London. of South London. Absolutely. Great gastro pub. The food is like the big sell, I think, isn't it? Really gorgeous looking dining room. And like, not to sound like a snob, but like really nice tables and chairs. Yeah, and very good lighting. <laughs> yeah, really good lighting. It was all, it was a Friday night, so it was super busy. We were kindly invited to go, but 100% we'll be back. We were saying they've got a lovely brunch and we are going to go... Try that out. We didn't try the cocktails this time, but their Bloody Marys did look really great. Yeah, they did. We had we were chic and we had just a very good bottle of Chardonnay recommended by us. Yeah, lovely white wine. We shared our starters. We had a potato and egg yolk raviolo in a chicken butter sauce, which oh, was, it so was so nice. Oh, it was so good. I loved like dipping mm. up the sauce with the focaccia, the focaccia. that they oh, bought. Delicious. Little free focaccia. And then we also had... Tuna sashimi. That was it. With, with whipped like, avocado. And ponzu. It was so good that I really enjoy a little bit of Very raw tuna. Can't delicate. lie. Delicate, yes. Yeah, all the Asian vibes. And then for mains, I had a cheddar cheese souffle because I was worried about being too full because they were quite big starters. It's a very delicate looking It was, souffle. it was actually great. It was really yummy. Nice big salad. You had the feather blade steak. Oh, it was so good. So it's, fe- I'd never heard of feather blade, but it's like been, mar- it's been um, braised for like 12 yeah, like hours. Yeah, really, really slow cooked mm. meat. And it was oh. with truffle chips and truffle kale. I was actually really jealous. Chips were amazing. I, uh, not to say that mine wasn't delicious, but yours. He did say the waiter that that's like the best seller. I did kindly give you some. You did very kindly. It's the lovely. puddings. Oh my god, the desserts! Oh my god, I literally just forgot for a second, and actually, they're a hundred percent the best part. The sticky toffee pudding was almost like purposefully undercooked. Oh, you loved that, didn't you? It, it was, was like, like cookie dough. And I had no, we shared, but I my fave was the. It was like a tiramisu flavor, I think. Coffee vibes, um, a baked Alaska. <gasps> it was I've so never had that good, and it was so pretty. All the like Italian meringue around the outside, mm. and it'll be like brown like it was very aesthetic yes as was. far as desserts go we ate so much that at nine we were like goodbye we had to roll home <laughs> in separate yeah. cabs we cannot cope. the joy of being five minutes around the corner there's also a weekend. garden yes so secret we missed it entirely so, so secret we completely missed but it. i must say in the pictures it looks gorge so we will be back but back to the topic of this week's episode, yes. the gorgeous Emma Gannon. We were so excited to chat to her because mm. we've both been big fans for a long time. She is probably one of the best known writers in the UK. She shot to prominence with her first kind of business book, which was called The Multi-Hyphen Method, which was basically her coining the term multi-hyphen with this idea that millennials can do like many jobs at once, especially in the digital era. Obviously, this was a little while ago that came out now, but when it did come out, it was like really radical. Also, as a substacker, I am obsessed with her substack, which is now called The Hyphen. 
she talks about she kind of like busts a lot of industry myths so she did a really good substack about like the reality of writing a book and how it's you just don't make that much money yeah so she's written six books one of them was a novel olive which i absolutely loved it was all about being child free by choice and she has very recently published the success myth which is about letting go of having it all emma's in her early 30s and as you can probably tell from her list of achievements also podcast control alt delete which she closed um at the start of this year was wildly successful she recorded over 400 episodes with like massive players like Greta Gerwig yeah Lena Dunham super successful people across like media the arts and business so she had this incredibly successful decade and she was then diagnosed like medically with chronic burnout and had to take four months off work and I think it's quite rare for us to hear someone talk about chronic burnout that's actually been like legitimized by a medical professional like I think we yeah. overuse the word burnout so much me and you have used it. oh I'm so burned out but then you're back to work as normal on Monday she genuinely her body broke down yeah she was clinically diagnosed she talks a lot about like the psychological impact really interesting as yeah. you say I mean I've never heard someone I've never had a first account, first person account of burnout so Emma talks about that so insightfully it's such like a wise comforting book I loved it like the little tagline is our obsession with achievement is a trap this is how to break free Okay, just to put this in perspective, usually when we record with a guest, we're like, they only have an hour, they need to rush off at the end, a publicist will like pop their head around the door like 10 minutes before the hour's up and then be like, ooh, and it's a big rush. Whereas Emma was just like so serene, floated in, looking marvellous. She's got the... We were there, so we're, we're there for two hours. We chatted for half an hour before recording. Let us know what you think, at Straight Up Pod on Instagram. We love to hear from you always. Oh, we didn't tell them about the Australian um, Australian Han, one of oh our few God, male yes. listeners. So we love the little network that we're creating with you guys. And actually, it was quite funny. We just thought we'd give you an update. The piece of gossip that we told you about a very prominent human rights activist a few weeks back. Turns out it's not the secret intel we thought it was because one of our Australian male listeners got in touch to let us know that he has heard this exact same gossip literally on the other side of the world. Literally. So it just shows how small these circles really are. Also interesting to note that all of you are very much on the same page about Russell Brand from what our polls are yes. telling us. You will think, bar a couple of people, that it is not a media conspiracy. Yeah, so thank you so much for your feedback, guys, those who have got in touch about the episode, because it really was very much appreciated from, yes, from we our got side. Such nice comments. Hearing what you guys thought. Also, very quickly, actually, before we go, this is going to be a wildly higgledy-piggledy intro, but <laughs> especially for the listeners that have been tuning in every week recently, I do have a love at first sight story for you. <gasps> Just perhaps for a little bit of um, an Tell uplift. Us, babe. Yeah, so wait, what, why are you telling me this again? It's because we were talking about it two weeks ago. Yes, so two weeks ago, we were talking about whether love at first sight is like real and if we had any particular examples in our own lives that we could think of. Yeah, because I don't know anyone. I do, in fact, have a a very cute story that I suddenly remembered which is a PR who we both know I won't name her on air she could well be listening but I do remember we've been out for lunch with her together so you definitely know her and she in fact met her husband and father of her baby in the street so they would walk past each other every day on the morning commute so as she was leaving like her flat and going down the road to the station he would be coming down the street the opposite way and they just catch each other's eye but then carry on walking like it was very much just like oh a, my god yeah catch the eye basically you know a couple of weeks later this keeps happening he basically stops her like actually asks for her number they go out on a few dates fast forward two years and they're like married with a baby so that is so Actual real-life example of love and first sight. And they're still sight. together. 
Yes, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. Unlike all those fucking celebs divorcing left, right and centre. Exactly. Also an update on that front, Sophie Turner. Oh my God! Guys, if you haven't seen, she has requested for her children's passports to be sent to her in England. She's going to sue him, right? For keeping the kids away from her. So as we predicted, this is in fact going to be a very messy divorce that is largely predicated on childcare issues, which seems to be why his camp was putting out all those bad mom stories. Do you think she went out for dinner with Taylor Swift, Joe's ex, knowing that it would become like a whole like tabloid story? I feel it was a little bit tactical, don't you? It was. It like, just must be. Because you also you could have dinner together and be more sly. You don't need to be like arm out arm. the front of the restaurant arm in arm. Like if they actually just wanted to like catch up and not be seen, they could probably do that. That feel like it was definitely a tactical. I kind of love that pettiness I literally love it. And I'm like going, I'm like. <laughs> Taylor is clearly that friend that you like call when you need that support. Yeah, exactly. She's like, come on, let's do it. I am obsessed. Do you not want to mess with those two? Right then. uh, We have gone on long enough. We We have have. caught you up. We are up to date with all things celeb and us. We'll be back next week with another cultural debrief. Just the two of us. Just the two. Do you remember we got that so wrong last time? What, when we do, we try and sing that and got the, Oh, yeah, we were, like, confusing it with the Toy Story one as well. Yeah. <laughs> Some kind of hideous mashup. <laughs> um, I was singing Frank Sinatra all of yesterday. I don't know why. What's wrong with me? Nice. Yeah, anyway. All right, my loves. We will see you next week. Do let us know if there's anything particularly you want us to debrief on next week. Do you know what? We are going to set up a poll with questions on what you want us to talk about more. Yes, we would be... Very appreciative. So please give your feedback of, yeah. All right, honey. Scroll down on Spotify. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay, gang, who like us anxious annies over here sometimes struggles with finding flow, focus, or feeling jittery? Productivity is, I'm not going to lie, quite literally my biggest struggle, or at least it was before I discovered adaptogens, natural mushroom and plant extracts that help the body cope with stress. They've become quite literally the hottest topic in the wellness industry recently. Think medicinal mushrooms, ashwagandha, and CBD, all these wildly powerful ingredients that are only just being studied in the mainstream and have a mountain of scientific evidence behind them. You've always been ahead of the wellness curve, babes, but I am now joining you. I am a total total convert having discovered the incredible adaptogenic coffee blends from London Nootropics, an ultra cool British brand and very excitingly our new partner on the pod who fellow Dragon's Den fans might recognize from their big win on the show last year and very excitingly we have a 20% discount code it's the code straight up so exciting i bloody loved them on dragon's den last year using only the highest quality of adaptogen extracts rich in active compounds and ultra tasty barista style coffee genuinely london nootropics make three different adaptogenic coffee blends flow for finding mental clarity and focus zen to alleviate stress and mojo for a natural boost so all you've got to do is pick the one you need the most in the moment add hot water and then milk if that's your thing I absolutely love Mojo. I use it as a pre-workout and somehow my 6am gym sessions no longer feel quite so dire. Containing organic cordyceps extracts, mushrooms, which are known to increase aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP and Siberian ginseng. It doesn't have the bitter taste that so many instant coffees usually do. And also I've even smashed my new personal best on the deadlifts. Well done, huh? Thanks, babes. That's exciting. I love all three equally, but I will say that due to my aforementioned Lyle's main obsession, it's the flow blend that really came through for me this summer. It also has Rodalia rosea extract in it for energy to clarity and motivation. And I think while lots of people love flow for turbocharging a work,
work day, the way it just eases my brain fog means that it's become an essential part of my morning routine, even when I'm on holiday. Yeah, the sachets from London Nootropics are so convenient for travel and actually much nicer than the pods you often get in your hotel room. And they don't make me feel on edge like I can tend to after a normal coffee. There's no spike or crash because adaptogens provide a steady energy release. And fun fact, cordyceps in Mojo has been shown to help us rapidly reset our body clock from jet lag. And perhaps most importantly of all, while we're all well aware of the world of supplements being a slight wild west, and let's face it, the entire wellness industry as well, London Nootropics make active compounds their absolute highest priority, meaning quality and effectiveness are literally guaranteed. Don't just take our word for it though, as well. Be the calmest, most productive version of yourself and find your flow at London Nootropics with our very special 20% off, which we've got just for you gorgeous listeners. And it's with the code straight up, that's straight up, all one word, no cap. And that's at londonnewtropics.co.uk. Thank you so much to London New Topics. Emma, welcome to Straight Up. So we always start the podcast with an icebreaker. Usually we record a bit late in the afternoon and we might have a cocktail. Today we're drinking coffee, so um, not as wild. But we always ask our guests, when was the last time... They let their hair down, had a little bit too much to drink. This is such a boring answer because I've just given up drinking. <gasps> Ooh, yeah. not boring though. Interesting. I find it really interesting to hear people's decisions for embracing the sober life. I feel like more yeah. and more people are going, making that choice. Yeah, I, I've been writing about it because it has been really fascinating looking at it through that lens of, hmm, this is, this is different. Um, but funnily enough, I actually feel like I'm more high on life, not drinking. Interesting. Because it's sort of the opposite of the norm, isn't it? So if I'm at a party and everyone's really drunk and I'm the only sober one, I feel like I'm on drugs. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm just like, this is weird. Um, Have you been getting that like contact high as well? Because I think that can often happen. Like if you are sober, but you're around people that are drinking, then you can feel like really, really energized just off everyone else's like, buzz exactly I'm still dancing I'm still having fun and actually I'm staying up later than some people because Ooh, I've got that energy yeah, oh my gosh you know I get really sleepy off wine and I don't think I'm my best self really I know I know that sounds really dull but I'm in this sort of phase at the moment where I'm really checking in with what I actually want from my life and I think drinking was sort of getting in the way and numbing and confusing me a bit so when was when exactly did you give it up so I haven't drunk anything for about four months at this point, which is probably the longest stint I've done. And uh, we might talk about it, but following my burnout last year, which, mm. which was actually quite severe, mm. I made a lot of changes. Mm. And looking back, like during the pandemic, I think it was a slippery slope. I was ordering like crates of red wine. <laughs> um, and I'm a creative person who wants to be a writer. I need to notice things. I need to be honest with myself. And, and I think my writing has got better since giving up. So it's all it's all connected. It's called kind of just how do I want to live? Yes, it's you. Whenever I was out with friends who worked in like the city on a weeknight or whatever, they'd always be like, oh, it's fine. I'll just be hungover at work. And it's like, if you're a writer, you cannot do anything hungover. Yeah. You physically can't tap into that part of your brain. You, you can't, can't be so brain dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess it is that. And, and even though I, I guess I take it back that it sounds boring. I think that's what people think it is. But actually, my life has never been more exciting because... I'm opening myself up to opportunities that before I would have been too hungover really to do. Oh, love so, that. Gosh, when you put it like that, yeah. it's like... Have you become Christ. a kind of active Saturday morning person? Not really, but <laughs> I, get, I do get up earlier now. And um, I go swimming 
Like I get, I get a bit of a high off cold water swimming now. Um, and also like, there are so many alternatives. Like I yeah. still go to the pub. I still have fun. I still make myself a really lovely like faux Prosecco on a Friday Ooh. evening. I have one tonight in a really nice glass. And the glassware I'm is still part having of it. that moment. Part, yeah. God, I thought we, I was out with drink, for drinks with friends yesterday and we were all ordering a cocktail. And one friend was like, No, I'm just going to have a trip CBD, you know, the non alcoholic. And we literally were like, No, you're having a cocktail. And we, she had a cocktail. Now I feel really bad that we peer pressured her into having one. But you have to learn to really have boundaries and fight for yourself I know. because. I used to be that that person yeah. who would a be like go and have a cocktail, but also be the person that went oh go on then. And actually, I've really got quite a strong backbone now, and it's quite interesting when people, you know, I've got certain friends that haven't really wanted to hang out with me recently. That's a bit of a wake up call. Like, yeah. are we really good friends? If you just want to like have rosé with me, interesting. Yeah. Mm. Was there a particular moment you just made the decision in, like a bad hangover, or as you say, I know it was following a period of making lots of different changes but was there just one particular day that you woke up and you were like that's it yes and no so I interviewed this amazing author called Ruby Warrington I don't know if you've heard of her so she wrote Sober Curious and I interviewed her hungover to death once like (laughs) two or three years ago and I was actually kind of triggered by it yeah um that's a strong word but you know what I mean and I was a bit defensive with her and I was really like oh uh, that's weird kind of thing (laughs) um as in you were defensive because you thought it was quite actually quite clear that you weren't on good form yeah I think so I think subconsciously I didn't really want to hear it Mm -hmm. I wasn't really in a good place to hear you know the sober curious life and she's a good friend of mine now we've become really good friends and I spoke to her the other day and um you know, I've, cut, I've come quite far from that conversation. Yeah. And also she was saying that people try and fail quite a few times. So I've tried to give up maybe about four or five times. I wouldn't say like I was an alcoholic, but it was so ingrained. My family are massive drinkers. Um, it's everywhere, isn't it? Mm. Like everywhere yeah. around Christmas, you know, um, everywhere. So, so, yeah, yeah like, but then, um, yeah, four months ago, it was like, actually, now now it's time. Well, so it's tied to so many different emotions. Celebration, stress, relaxing, holiday. Like, it's actually, it's very, apart from work, I feel like if you're not working, the only way to, actually, it's one of the biggest di- differentiators between working and not working is, oh, I'm allowed to have a drink. Yeah, and also, I mean, maybe this is um, just me, but I, I do read a lot of nonfiction, and yeah. I read Holly Whittaker's Quit Like a Woman, and once you actually realise what alcohol is, it's it's like the same chemical that is in petrol. It's oh my God. really quite awful for us. And I think once I read that book, I was like, oh God, that's really, I can't unsee that. It's like when yeah. everyone watched that cow documentary yes. and everyone gave up meat. I still, and, but then I was like, I'm not going to watch it because I don't want to give up meat in the same way that I probably would stop myself from reading that book because I don't want to have to go through the stress of giving up alcohol which I guess is also part of the but also just to caveat obviously for all your listeners like it's such a personal thing I know so many people that can have five drinks wake up the next day and feel great like it was just me I couldn't do it it's so different for everyone so I think um yeah so your new but the success myth is really looking at obviously why success success is not all it's cracked up to be or rather our like society's understanding of success you as you said in the book and um in your substack were very successful in your 20s because you worked so hard and in fact you hardly ever socialized um and but then I guess when you in your early 30s you realized that you had become a workaholic Mm -hmm. so could you give us a like an idea of what workaholic Emma Gannon's schedule looked like versus the new 
zen the new booze free swimmer yeah because yeah, like, what is i don't work i feel like being a workaholic is so different to everyone like what was what was it like for you in terms of your actual mm-hmm. daily life so i think looking back on my 20s now i can see it was tied to low self-worth yeah so the idea of having a break or being a bit lazy or not being really super productive. Like, I actually feel so bad for that version of myself now. I kind of want to just give her a hug because I'm like, I just worked her to the bone, like a little machine. It was like, that's why you're put on this planet. And I think that's a bigger cultural thing that we're told from very, very early on that we are our output. Like, that is why we're here. That is what we're supposed to be doing. So I guess I was the classic you know nine to five but slash like nine till midnight type of person in the office when I worked in big agencies and then in magazines and then when I became self-employed I I was my own boss and I was even harsher to myself I was the toxic boss to myself so what kind of hours were you working oh there was a there was a point where um, my partner Paul was like you literally are like on your laptop on the sofa I've not seen you without your laptop you know I would get home from work and just be on on my laptop till like two a.m. Um, yeah, it was like it was. I was addicted for sure. It was it's, bad. So you'd be getting up, say like at seven, working from eight until literally two a.m. And would you say that this was work that was actually paying off? I mean, it must have done because you did actually mm. become really successful. Yeah, I'm kind of torn a little bit sometimes when I sort of knock like everything I did that in that decade because. You, there is a hustle that you do need. And, and actually in your 20s, you have more energy. So yeah. I could work till 2am and actually be kind of okay the next day. Now I physically wouldn't be able to do that. I'd fall asleep on, the, on my laptop. Um, so yeah, there was like a graft and a hustle that I look back and I'm like, okay, that was good. Um, but I think it's it, the, the book, The Success Myth, it's not really necessarily about me. I don't yeah. think I'm that interesting. I think it's like what got me to that stage yeah. to realise that... What, is it being a millennial? Is it graduating into a recession? Is it the fact that we all think we're like not worthy? I think it's those bigger themes yeah. that I'm interested in. I absolutely love the chapter on like the happiness myth. And I found it so interesting the way you placed our society's like obsession with happiness within the broader context of like a making everyone else feel comfortable so it's that we're all pretending that we're fine even if we're not but b how that's actually part of a broader capitalist agenda in the sense that for employers it's really good for us to be happy so we just get on with it and work hard but also you know we're sold the promise of happiness by brands companies and they make billions from it like yeah actually it's not a natural human state to be happy 24 yeah. 7 yes the gamut of human emotion is very varied but we yeah. have this focus or obsession with being happy all the time it's fascinating isn't it when you see all the marketing and branding around this will make you happy it, it you know it is it's it's genius it's the way that we all buy stuff if we were just walking around really okay with ourselves we wouldn't spend any money on anything really mm. um and I like nice things but now I'm just really clear that I'm like that's not going to make me happy it will make me sort of a bit give me a little endorphin rush or it'll make me more comfortable but it's not gonna make me happy and I think now I'm so in tune with how I feel you know minute to minute it's like the weather it's like you know we're constantly in in a state of change and another myth I think is this myth that like it's bad to cry 
it's it's like oh if you're crying you're there's something wrong with you I cry all the time Same. like I've I've had pretty much a daily cry I need to just let it out and then move on but I'm the happiest I've ever been but I, <laughs> I but I it's like I'll just have a little cry there's nothing wrong with that so that's you know the opposite that of the happiness thing? myth do you feel like you weren't crying enough in your yeah, I, think, I yeah. think there's so many things we're told that are bad that, that are not bad at all. And I think now um, I'm just embracing all the emotions. And I interviewed Rafa Uber, who's an amazing psychiatrist in the book. And he says this. He's like the most kind of emotionally intelligent, you know, joyful people are the people that are like, I feel sad today. I'm going to feel sad. Not yeah. I feel sad today. Oh, I'll go and pretend I'm happy. Yeah, so true. So was the actual process of writing the book quite liberating and instructive then in the sense that it helped you get more in tune with your own emotional state and understand it and be at peace with it? Yeah, for sure. So um, I I think I'm going to become way more woo-woo in my old age because <laughs> I think there is something very interesting about creativity that I don't think any of us quite understand in that I wrote that book and then I reread it and I was like, who, who wrote that? Because really? I don't really remember writing some of it, um, which is going to make me sound a bit weird. But I believe that when we write, we're writing from kind of this strange wisdom, you know, that we, we are channeling something. I don't know what it is, but, you know, people who write poetry, they're like, I don't know where that came from. And so when I wrote The Success Myth, um, I was quite unwell, actually, when I was writing it. I was very confused and quite unhappy in my work. And then I wrote the book, I handed it in, and then I had my kind of meltdown. So I think the success myth was me. I think I wrote the book for myself, essentially. It's, it's funny that the meltdown happened after you wrote the book. I think some people yeah. might think you had the meltdown and then that inspired the Yeah, book. that's actually what I assume. <laughs> I know, I've got a whole other book now. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, yeah. I've learned so much since writing that book. That book's actually pre-meltdown. Pre um so yeah very odd I think it landed in my body I think I handed it in and I was like oh my god you know so I think a lot of listeners won't really understand what burnout is because it's such an overused term and people say it all the time I say all the time I'm burnt out whilst Mm -hmm. it's not actually a physical breakdown of the body like you said it was for you um can you talk us through what happened exactly like when did the like nuts and bolts start just like falling off it's so weird because I find it so fascinating when I was in it I was still kind of analyzing it yeah which actually is a really good way of getting through really bad stuff if you're curious about like oh I'm having a breakdown (laughs) like there's a weird way of kind of navigating it um so I can only really describe it as a kind of panic alarm so you know something's wrong you hear a bit of a whisper like you know uh, something has to change you ignore that you hear a louder whisper you ignore that and then suddenly you know your body is kind of shouting to you to take a break so for me it was you know mini panic attacks at night it was looking in the mirror and kind of not recognizing myself as much like Like it was quite disassociative yeah so that was odd um and also I've learned a lot about human changes and it's quite similar to when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and becomes a butterfly the caterpillar kind of melts down into this goop uh and and that's what I felt like just felt like a bit of a melting who am I um and then you build yourself back up again and was it because you were like sleep deprived or was it a sense of being overwhelmed because I think you imagine I think if you imagine your body breaking down for burnout you think oh it's because they can't be sleeping or they're they're not eating well enough but was it more of a 
almost nebulous mental thing like culmination of yeah. a decade of overwork yeah I think it's definitely the build-up for yeah. sure and there's a, and this great analogy that I'm probably gonna paraphrase badly but it's called feather brick dump truck so you get a feather like stroking your, your arm going like something's wrong then you get a brick like thrown at you and then you're like run over <laughs> so you, it's the sick we, we we're not listening to ourselves in this modern society um so we ignore all the signals and they're all there so yeah I think it was a build-up but also I think it's like a subconscious thing like if you've ever been in that a situation where you know you have to break up with someone you get a feeling of like oh god I'm gonna have to do something really hard and then you ignore it and you ignore it and you ignore it and then suddenly it all comes out so I think it was like that and what were you juggling at that point you had you were writing the book you were still you had you were writing your newsletter you had the podcast you had the podcast yeah speaking yeah yeah what else were you you it seems like you were juggling oh my god so last year yeah so I got married um and weddings are really stressful yeah I loved it, but I was really glad to burn that spreadsheet Kathleen's afterwards. Planning hers at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's like a whole other job, it isn't is it? A lot. So I, was, I had got married. We'd just come out of the pandemic. I'd moved house, um, which was like a real dream. Like I moved um, into a house, and I had the podcast. I started my Substack. I had a book coming out. I was writing another novel. Um, had all these other things going on, like. Yeah, it was really silly, oh actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> Were you even saying no to stuff? Because also, I can imagine the more successful you get in those terms, the more people want a piece of you. Oh, can, Emma, can you write this? Can you speak at this? Yeah, I had no boundaries. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Because the thing is, I love what I do. And if, I, if someone emails me saying, you know, do you want to do the thing? I'm just like, yeah, amazing, great. It's almost like that freelancer mentality never goes. You're just like, oh, yay, work. Now, um, honestly, I feel like a completely different person. My boundaries are impeccable now I only do things I want to do honored you said yes yeah like I'm really I'm here because I want to be here kind of thing um like I look at my diary and it's amazing I'm just like oh I want to do all these things and then I schedule in breaks now um yeah I have really got a handle on things but I I do think you don't have to go through an extreme burnout to realize these things but they can be a good thing I really want to see your diary now can you give us a little bit yeah, well, I'm going on a retreat next week for a week in Spain, nice. and I'm deleting WhatsApp and deleting my Ooh, um, deleting WhatsApp? Gmail app. <gasps> yeah, Radical. I'm going fully off grid. Yeah. God, I think I would love that though because I find like the tyranny of WhatsApp to be a lot. Yeah. I love being in contact with like all my friends and family, but I also find it really overwhelming to be like, oh god, I haven't gone back to that person. Oh, but also that person, and then also the that person, and then I really should suggest a date for this thing, and it just becomes so much I know well I've just sent out a message to my nearest and dearest saying I'm not dead I'm just on a retreat next week you're not going to hear from me so such good boundaries yeah I know thank I didn't you have a, I got mugged last month and didn't have a phone for six oh God, days I'm sorry that happened it was, yeah it was fine it was on the way to an interview which was not ideal mm. um but yeah I then didn't have a phone for six days and it was amazing you or know you, what? The, you feel a bit unsafe at night. Yeah, but that's that reminds me of um, when the burnout happened. It was terrifying, and I thought, "Am I losing my mind? And am I broken?" But I also felt huge relief. There yeah. is a relief. Yeah. You could just step back. Yeah. When was the kind of dump truck moment? When did you actually recognise what was going on? Yeah, it was actually a year ago, um, which is feels like a milestone. I'm like, oh, a year wow. ago that happened. Um, but I was on a spa weekend with my friend. Which, which is so ironic. ironic. Literally, it was really nice and relaxing. And I, and I couldn't relax into it because I felt like something was wrong. So, yeah, it was definitely a case of 
I need to tell everyone I'm not okay. And that's also something that I've learned is don't be afraid to admit the truth. Don't be afraid to say to people, I'm not okay. Because I think we're in a culture of working through anything, aren't we? Even in COVID, you know, people would be have like a hacking cough and still be on Zoom. I think we need to learn how to say it's not a weakness. It doesn't mean that you're lazy or that you, you know, can't hack it. Um, you just need a break. So I, I'm I'm all for normalising, saying that you're you're not able to take that on. It's fine. Huns, if you live in London and you love to know about the best new lifestyle experiences from food and drink to travel and fitness, and you want to know how you can get them for free, then you need to hear this. Yep, as regular listeners will well know, a few months ago, we started working with new sponsor Yonder, an incredible credit card that not only offers you amazing comprehensive travel insurance, but also allows you to rack up a ton of points every time you spend, which then you can redeem at their very exciting, ever-changing list of partnered restaurants, bars, gyms, events, and travel experiences all across the capital. So when Yonder first launched, it absolutely nailed its curated food options. I redeemed amazing at dinners at Roti King, at Lena Stores, and Cricket. Knocked 80 quid off my bill once, but now it Excitingly, Yonder is also moving into the lifestyle space, particularly fitness, and this month partnered with F45 and Sweat BXR. So I'm actually a really big fan of Sweat BXR because I did a feature on BXR when it first opened. It's a gorgeous luxury boutique gym mm. that offers incredible boxing classes as well as Versa Climber classes, which are basically these very high intensity but low impact cardio machines. I love them. Fun fact, so does Edward Enifel, editor of Vogue. He always goes to the Versa Climber class. Also, it is actually where Anthony Joshua likes to train. He's an investor in the gym, so you might even be lucky enough to see AJ we would be very lucky I did F45 for three years while I lived in Brixton right next door to a studio and I was obsessed it's essentially a 45 minute class with about 10 exercise stations you zoom across from weights and resistance to cardio uh, and you do sets really fast to really fun loud music I loved it me too I really loved going together to that for BXR you simply pay with your Yonder card and then it gives you the option to redeem up to £30 with points which is the cost of a class and with F45 Yonder will redeem up to £25 which is also the cost of a class the partnered F45 classes are at Old Street and Liverpool Street so perfect for those working in the city all our finance huns and bxr sweat is in locations across london such as canary wharf and marlebone and if you want to turbocharge your existing points you can decide to earn points at these gyms instead of spend them which means you'll have even more to redeem next time thank you so much to our amazing partner yonder get your first month three and ten thousand points when you join then it's 15 pounds a month please do make sure you borrow responsibly t's and c's apply rep 66.7 percent apr variable So what like what does an average day in the life of Emma Gannon look like? I'm slightly obsessed with knowing people's daily schedules because now that you are no longer a chain slave to your like grueling pre-burnout pre-burnout routine, yeah, what does it look like? Like what time are you waking up? I think especially as well because yeah. you say that success is in the detail of how you spend your days now. So mm. I'm like really interested. Yeah, to know what yeah. that looks like. Like, what's a successful day to you? Now? And what's how long is like a rest break and stuff like that? Well, I don't. I don't really have routines. I don't really. I've never had a routine. When people ask me what do your days look like, I mean, totally different from one day to the next because we're different from one day to the next. And I feel really lucky that I can design my life. That's something that I always wanted. Was I don't really believe in like the Monday to Friday week even. Sometimes I'll take a Tuesday off and go to the cinema and then on Sunday I'll take my laptop to a cafe and write a thousand words. I just, I love that freedom and I feel like that's possible now in this day and age, or at least it should be. So I go with what I need and that's another thing that I don't think we do very often is we sit, you know, sit down and say, what do I need today? And it doesn't have to be much. It could be, okay, I need to 
go for a little walk. I just need some fresh air. Or I need to make time to phone a friend instead of texting them in a rushed way. Or um, I might go for an evening swim. Or today, or today I want a bar of chocolate. Or today I need some vegetables. Like it's sort of that <laughs> intuitive. I'm getting quite intuitive with it, I think, now. Oh, I love that. I remember you years ago saying that you you kind of disagreed with this idea that to be productive you have to get up early and you were like in fact I'm Mm. self-employed and I get up much later than all the kind of 5am crew would have you believe is possible when you're having a successful productive life and that's just what works for me and I found that like actually very radical and empowering at the time because so few people were talking about the possibility of being able to be successful on a different schedule and I am not an early bird so anytime I hear any like pro night owl content I'm always here for it yeah I think I think what it is is there's no tip it's just what do you as an individual need we're all so different and I think the more that you track your cycles like your like if you're if you are a woman or born as a woman um you will need to check in with your energy levels surrounding that also the seasons like I sleep more in the winter we are animal like we are mammals um so I think it's all very changeable and I just, there's so much that goes into how we feel and that's why I don't really understand why we think we're machines that will just operate in the same way every single day. I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't be able to be like, this is my daily routine. Have you had to make a sacrifice in terms of what you're earning because of your output is less? Like, have you had to make sacrifices? Yeah, I did, I did at first. Um, I've always known like what my, what my sort of base level is to just like have a life that I'm sort of happy with. So anything above that is a bonus. Um, But yeah, I was absolutely like, no amount of money is worth my health. So I had to look at that. Um, But then ironically, since I've made all these changes, my work has never been better. So it's sort of lovely to know Mm. as well that there are different ways of working. And you interviewed over 400 people for your very successful podcast, Control-Alt-Delete. A lot of that forms the basis of the success myth. I got the vibe from the book that you had to, or in fact, from your promo around the book, that you've part of redesigning your life was actually dropping the podcast. Was that? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah so that felt like a real chapter for me. I loved doing that podcast. I learned from the, you know, the best people. I interviewed some of my absolute heroes, um, like really memorable conversations that will stay with me my whole life. But I think there gets to a point where you've learned everything you can possibly learn from something. And I could have carried it on. I could have made more money. I could have been more more well-known, whatever. But I knew it was end of an era. And it was really hard. I think a lot of my burnout actually was mixed in with grief symptoms. They're very similar. So, like, my appetite went. I slept a lot. um, I felt really vulnerable. Um, I was grieving because... and, And I think to other people, they might be like, oh, that sounds really dramatic. But six years of your life doing something that you loved and then not doing it anymore, you, you are. You're like mourning for a chapter ending. And it must have felt really counterintuitive in some ways. Mm-hmm. So to like cut something off as it's growing must feel really, really difficult. It was really difficult. But then there's a part of me that I think sometimes I really like rebelling. Yeah. And sometimes when the culture tells you to do something, I'm just like, I don't want to do that. Um, I don't like I don't like a lot of stuff that we're supposed to like I don't like fancy restaurants I find them really annoying and I and I just want to go and have some food with my friend I don't like designer clothes Um, I don't like London Fashion Week I don't like 
Dubai as a, as a concept. <laughs> like, I, I like, so I, I just, I'm like, that stuff, some, like, I actually feel really empty inside when I see a lot of things on Instagram, just like an, someone posing by an infinity pool, because I'm just thinking, I've tried that out and that didn't work. So what am I going to go and try now? Um, so yeah, stepping away from something that was working, I feel privileged because I had some, some sort of backup plan. Um, but a part of me was like, oh, this is exciting as well. So you had four months post-burnout where you rested. Yes. I guess that's how you would describe and it. And sort of dabbled in Substack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as you say in some of the podcast episodes you've had around the book, rest isn't like lying in bed. It's just doing stuff that switches off maybe the professional part of your brain. So that still might be quite active, like swimming, as you said. So what were you doing in those four months? Like what, what were all these amazing things that you got up to and yeah what did your average day look like the idea of four yeah. months off work feels like heaven but also really daunting yeah so that was definitely not a choice as in I was really unwell and I know a lot of people um who are signed off from work for three mm. months and they have that sort of corporation behind them helping them you know get by so I had savings I was fine I feel really lucky that I could do this just want to caveat that because I know a lot of people would be like I can't take four months off um but yeah I basically kind of went back to being quite childlike it was really lovely actually I mean I I, I wasn't well so I I, it's weird saying it was lovely because I also was really frightened at the same time so I didn't feel like myself um and, and I'd been like clinically diagnosed medically with like burnout and anxiety. So it felt quite serious. I just want to like caveat that as well, because I think people are like, oh, you were just a bit tired. Um, but yeah, I borrowed a dog. So I so say there was like two dogs in my neighborhood, little dashing puppies. Um, so I watched a lot. Of, I don't watch TV, but I watched a lot of TV while I was healing. Um, I, I binge watched like the whole of Motherland in like two days. That was great. Um, I read a lot of like books just for pleasure because for my job I have to read quite a lot um I bought all of the Jacqueline Wilson children's books no. secondhand and just relived some of that stuff watched a lot of Disney films went on a lot of walks got into swimming which I used to love when I was younger I love that feeling of like a swim and then you're like so hungry you need to eat everything and really just kept in touch with friends that I've known all my life um so yeah that sort of thing. I know what you mean in terms of like the childlike and it's quite nostalgic. It was like, I think the way to describe it as well when you're burnt out is there's a part of you that's been starved and you need to feed that part of yourself. And I think now I'm so conscious of it. How did you know you were better? Mm. Ooh, that's a good question. Well, I... My sister came around one one day and she was like, ooh, you've been wearing that same fleece for a while. (laughs) And then she was like... Um, she's like, I say this with love, but I think you need to wash your hair now. <laughs> like she kept saying these little things where I was like, only she could say. And I really had sort of just, you know, when you're in that, in that place, you, you can't really be asked to do anything. Um, so I, I know what the turning point was. And it was actually when I put on a pair of these rainbow dungarees and I booked in a haircut as well. And now I will never sort of um, take for granted, actually, my interest in, in clothes. Because when I'm feeling good, I want to wear fun things. Yeah. So, yeah. You look amazing today. Thanks. But that's how I know I'm well, yeah. is I'm like, oh, I want to wear something nice today. So. Yeah. That's so, yeah. so do you funny. think um, it, it wasn't just physical? You were, you were depressed? Like, I don't think I was depressed because I didn't feel numb. 
Okay. And I, I don't know. I don't, maybe there are, there are experts out there who know the difference more than me. But I, I, I felt a lot like I was going through the motions. So I, I don't think I was depressed. Um, but I was incredibly anxious mm. because I'd lost touch with a part of myself that I believe is more intuitive. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I think, I mean, people say anxiety is the opposite of intuition. So when you're going really off track in your life, you'll become way more anxious. And how did you feel about living like an online life at that time? Because you're one of the kind of pioneers of having a digital career, the multi-hyphenate method, multi-hyphenate method, the multi-hyphenate in the US. Well, another lesson really was that um, nothing bad happened when I took four months off. As in, you know, I had more followers when I came back. You know, think things, people still discover your stuff. I have like a huge backlog of 400 episodes or whatever of the podcast, things like that. Um you know, we, we live in this strange time where we feel like if we step off the treadmill, our career will stop. Totally. And I have learned the opposite happens. Like my career randomly, for whatever reason, is is actually thriving now in a way that I would never have even wished for. It's, it's incredible. And I actually believe that's because I took time off. So I know it's hard. I know we live in like this, this you know, I want to I wanna kind of take a sledgehammer to this culture of overworking now I don't have the answers but I believe that we're in an epidemic of it and we need to talk about this stuff because if we don't take breaks you know we can't all go through burnout at the same time what would happen then like we need to take care of ourselves what do you make of this whole quiet quitting trend that's been going on for like the last year because it seems like a, a rebellion to burnout but it doesn't seem necessarily particularly healthy either I mean I know it's exaggerated for like TikTok's sake like I don't believe that any of the people that say they're quite quitting are actually like walking out of their office when their boss has asked them to do something yeah. at like 2pm it's exaggerated for effect but is that good well it's a double-edged sword isn't yeah. it it was the lazy girl job as well was trending yeah. I think as like an antidote yeah. to the girl boss thing um well I think it speaks volumes at where we're at I think people are tired and I think people are really exhausted and finding any way possible to not overwork um yeah, I kind of like it because mm. I think it's people going, screw this. Like, I want to go home and maybe work on a side project. Maybe the quiet quitting is not this, like, I don't want to do anything or, or contribute to society. It's more, I need to really rein in mm. this never-ending job of emails on my phone and never-ending Slack. And I, I kind of love that rebellion of I'm not doing that anymore. Because back in the day, we really did leave our work at the office and yeah. now we don't. So... Yeah, yeah I don't true. know. It's a movement for a reason. We've got to listen to it. Yeah. Have you actually heard real life examples of people you know quitting their jobs and doing like transferring industries? I actually don't know anyone who actually has, sadly. Although my friend keeps saying she's going to quit her job in comms and open a pub. I thought like there's <laughs> yeah. definitely been, you mentioned in the book, but this shift post pandemic. I didn't know if it was partly my age, say going from like 20s into early 30s, but generally I feel like the energy to pursue like a career has dampened a little I was actually talking to Theo yeah. about this the other day like it's it I don't know there's a feeling of like god I just want to get what I need to get done done and there is no glory in like being on the grind 24 7. I think it's really exciting I mean I think uh if you if you ask sort of a baby boomer they'd be like get back to the office and you're being lazy but I think for anyone of our generation, we're thinking the shine is gone from the corner office and the late hours and the bags under your eyes and the, you know, stresses of daily life. And actually, I think I find it quite heartening that people 
want to grow vegetables in their garden or they want to go and hang out with their friends on the beach or they want to write in their journal more often like these are all really lovely things and actually if a society as a society if we're valuing those things more I only see that as a positive yeah yeah though um I actually wrote a subtext about how even getting a new hobby I feel can quickly become quantified and mm. measured but I find it really difficult to even yeah do things that I love and then not find a way of turning it into content for free yeah <laughs> even like reading or something it's such a tightrope. There's also something to be said for um, we put so much pressure on ourselves and sometimes it's us overthinking because really it, life can be way more simple. Yeah. Like we, you know, we, we need to eat, we need to sleep, we need to reproduce if we want to and have a bit of sun on our face, earn enough money to live. Like we're okay, most of us. It's just that we are putting all this pressure on ourselves to be bigger and better all the time. Um, I read something, I think it was in the Times recently, that the kind of average that you need to earn now is like £100,000 to literally like live a life of, you know, the, the traditional life of like two kids, have a garden, um, send your kids to a good school, like all these things we're supposed to do. So expensive. Mm. And there's something to be said for what can you take off your pile? Like what can you remove today? Like, can you have less overheads, less things? Um, can you do a holiday that's actually going to fill you up? And it doesn't have to be super expensive. I don't know. I, that soothes me sometimes to mm. be like, what can I do less of? I quite like that. Such a good point. What have you found yourself removing from the never-ending pile? Mm. Um, I don't really go to parties. I don't. Um, I don't really do any job that will take more of me than I'm going to kind of get from it. And obviously I'm in a really good position where I can do that, but I really weigh up the energy exchange. Um, I don't see people who drain me anymore. Um, I actually wrote a post recently about all the things I don't do anymore and it was really long, so I can't even remember <laughs> some now. But I don't I don't buy as many clothes Um I buy a lot of secondhand stuff. Mm. I really love trinkets. Like I love a charity shop. I love that word, yeah. trinket. I love a trinket. Yeah. I love a charity shop. I, I can't, like I bought some egg cups the other day that were like polka dot <laughs> and they brought me so much joy oh. and they cost me like £2.50. I love so that. I'm just, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm just not kind of buying into this like we're supposed to do X, Y and Z now. How did you kind of learn to set all these boundaries or learn to trust your intuition? Is this like in part being helped by therapy or because I feel even in the book you don't have a kind of authoritative like annoying like preachy tone at all but you, you're coming from this place of like quiet confidence and assurance mm. and there is like like it's really comforting like I love your tone in the book because it feels like you're not preaching but you know no that's nice people have said it's quite soothing yeah but I think it's honestly because I was soothing myself <laughs> Like all of this but is literally me telling me. You yeah. wrote it mid meltdown, which is actually weird yeah. that you even had a soothing voice. And maybe it was like a, yeah, maybe it was like a Emma the Rescuer. In yeah, head writing it. Yeah, as, exactly. And also being you, me being myself, because yeah. I think if you'd have met me five years ago and I was promoting a different book, I probably would be like a bit more, not aggressive, but like I've been writing a lot about how a lot of us perform, like we perform ourselves more than just be ourselves, mm. and we 
expend so much energy if you if you perform you're using like 50 percent of your energy of the day um now i don't really get as tired because i'm just like here i am this is me like do you like it okay and then i go home (laughs) (laughs) perfect it's just like you're saving so much energy i used to whenever people came around to my house i used to be so like over over the top i used to just make all these things and like you know be like oh are you having fun and like it's like people just want to come to your house just sit there with you you know so true you mentioned um a few minutes ago your decision not to have children and you've written about that as well I love Olive Mm. I read it when I was in Mexico in March it's Mm. so good thank you we're in that stage of our lives where it's it feels like all our friends are talking about it or discussing it whether to have it whether not to have it the Mm. the decisions there's so much as you said before like shame around it um how did was it always a difficult decision or was there not even a question of should I shouldn't I it was more of a how do I make the fact that I don't want to palatable to the people around me yeah because I think for me it's like I don't actually know yet and I'm waiting for something to happen to tell to the nature to like make the call for me really yeah 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 well I I wanted to write Olive because I found it interesting to revert the narrative because we we read a lot about motherhood and we we you know and quite rightly I I love those books but I was like oh we haven't really heard from the one in the friendship group that is sort of on the sidelines not going through massive change really just sort of figuring it out um so I think Olive as a character is more unsure than me because she's someone that feels almost ashamed and she's like is something wrong with me? Like there's, there's a bit in the book where she's like, if I could take a pill to, to feel broody, I would, so I could join in. Mm. Like she's very much like, I want to be in mm. the club, but I, I don't want them. So she's, I think, quite insecure. Whereas I actually have known from, early, from quite an early age that it's not for me. How early? Um, I would say as early as when you're kind of given a doll when you're younger. I was like, oh, I don't want to play with this. <laughs> I just... <laughs> don't get it yeah just not into it not really maternal not not interested like I find I find it I I just don't resonate with it I don't want to spend my time like at a soft play area I I, I just don't like I just don't want it and I can't really describe that enough like I get really excited at the prospect of my life without kids like yeah I'm gonna do loads of traveling and have loads of fun like I I'm not insecure about it. So I could step more into Olive's shoes. That was more fun for me. Um, but yeah, I'm lucky though. I'm lucky that I, don't, that I know. I think I'm, I'm more empathetic to people that don't know because it's a huge decision. Someone said to me the other day, they were like, and it was quite persuasive. They were like, well, if you don't have kids, and in fact, this links back to workaholism. Is that what I said? Work. <laughs> workaholicism. Is that it? <laughs> workaholism. Workaholism, <laughs> sorry. Um, they were like, if you if you don't have kids, you might just become like obsessive about your about your work and like what else will there be? And actually, that is a massive fear as someone who does have workaholic tendencies. Like, if I don't have something to give me a higher purpose or not think about myself and my career, what if I just end up like, a, yeah, a career obsessive? And also, someone mm. was like, and who's going to look after you when you're old and dying? Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, I have saved up enough. But yeah, that is a fear. <laughs> 
Right, Cathers, before we dive into the rest of the episode, I have some fascinating news to tell you that I think our listeners will be very interested in too. It's about people who are sensitive to sound like me. Go on. Okay, so background, all my life I've struggled with noise and will become literally paralyzed with irritation if I hear loud eating noises, loud typing, loud scratching. Don't get me started on cutlery scraping on a plate. My teeth feel like they're gonna fall off and I've actually got angry with my boyfriend before for breathing too loudly when I was reading my book and he was like, do you literally want me to (laughs) stop being alive? Anyway, I've always thought this was just part of my impatient personality but recently found out this has a name misophonia which causes a negative emotional reaction to common sounds that is absolutely fascinating babe because I must say I had never heard of it either I definitely feel quite seen though because as you know I also really struggle with distracting sounds which I've only recently realised is actually Mm. like an ADHD thing my friend at work used to laugh at me so much because I'd have to put on headphones with no sound or anything playing coming out just to be able to focus what can we do about this very real problem honey okay so the reason I found out is because I discovered Flare Audio's Karma earbuds which essentially soften these sounds for highly sensitive people they're our new podcast sponsor and i'm so thrilled because you guys are genuinely gonna love it and they were literally made for me i think that is so amazing and i need to know how they work immediately okay so our ears are shaped like shells and so the sound we receive is always distorted about 20 percent. and whilst most people's brains filter that distortion out our brains don't so the karma earbuds shape helps do that for us they're very tiny very unobtrusive perfect for cleaning up annoying sounds when you're in distracting environments from a cafe when you're remote work to when you're in the office and everyone's eating at their desks and the sound of their chewing fills you with a violent rage. This is literally a game changer because I know so many people that get extremely enraged by troughing, which is Uh. what my friend Millie kind of calls it. Can you get it? Troughing? Yes. loud eating actually vile but I'm very excited to be a far more kindly patient person who can block all those hideous sounds out yes exactly and don't just take my word for it guys they've sold a million pairs since the launch in lockdown and they even do mini versions for kids who get easily distracted and overwhelmed be at school or at a restaurant so cute I know this sounds absolutely amazing my love where the hell can we get these life saving earbuds so grab yours for £19.95 at flareaudio.com thank you so much to Flare Audio I always think back to this quote by Cheryl Strayed that is you don't have a career you have a life and I always think that I'm like I have a life I don't have a career like a career is part of my life but I have a life and therefore there are so many elements of my life um, that all feed into each other. And now I realise they're so interconnected. Um, like, I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't even think of myself as a writer anymore. I think of myself as just a person, like, living my life, and then I write about it. Yes, yeah. Like, everything's fascinating point. to me. So, you know, my, you know, my sibling, my younger siblings will probably have, younger sibling, sorry, will probably have a kid one day. Um, I get, I'm going to get to live through a lot of other people's stuff and that excites me yeah in, in the book it opens with olive having split from her long-term partner because of this indecision whereas her partner is like set on having kids did you and your partner always know from the outset of your relationship what the future might look like or was it something you had to discuss later down the line well we met when i was 22 so we've been together for a long, long time. And um, he reminds me a lot of when I, when we first met, I was really into it, into the idea of having children. As in, um, like, obviously I knew deep down I didn't really want them, but I would, like, do that annoying thing where you just say, like, let's fantasise about the future. Yeah. Kids' names. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I did all of that. Um, and, and it's like, that's so weird now. I think I got caught up with it all. Yeah. But that was just, yeah, fantasising. There's also, I guess, that sense... 
again, this is what someone else said to me, or maybe I read about it. They were like, if you don't have kids, you have to make sure that your life is really full of friends and hobbies because otherwise you will get lonely. And again, that's such an unhelpful narrative, the idea that like you need to have this like really fabulous extra life to sustain not having kids. And that's, yeah, that's scary as well, I guess. Or you've got to have enough money to travel all the time. Yeah, I mean, um, I just love sitting on my own writing. So I feel like <laughs> even if I have no friends, like, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'll just I, I think I'm quite good at romanticizing things as well. So I'll just live in like a little apartment alone. I, I honestly kind of I'm quite happy with just I don't need like a load of stuff around me to entertain me. Mm. I just I just know I'm going to be okay. I guess a lot for a lot of people as well, having kids is like a way to have purpose, whereas for you, your creativity is your purpose. Yes. Well, you know what someone said to me the other day, and I, and I actually think there's a point to this. They were like, because um, they're pregnant at the moment, and they were like, oh, it's so nice. I get so much attention. Like, it's so lovely being pregnant. She was like, I love getting a seat on the tube. I love that people tell me I look radiant. I love that I'm taking up more space. I love that I'm growing a human. Like, it's incredible. I'm, you know, I'm so in awe of anyone that does it. And then we were we were talking about it and she was like, I think with you that actually a lot of, you get a lot of validation from your work. Like you have a lot of people sometimes saying like, I really like your stuff. And she was like, maybe that's also plays into the fact that you don't need these milestones. That's such an interesting point. Because you do get quite a lot of feedback. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah, maybe that is something. We're making babies every day on our substack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> meant, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, I think another thing as well that women find a pressure around is the feeling of being left out like mm. I, I was saying it to you as a joke a few months ago like oh like if you have a child and I don't we won't be able to talk about the same things anymore and we I, won't find each other interesting that there was a big piece I yeah. want to say it was in the New York Times like last week or something as well about how people having children impacts their friendships and it was like we always think about what happens to the parents when they have kids but also what happens to their friends I guess it's just such a complicated issue and that is part of Olive's issue in the book is fitting in with the friendship group yeah for sure I mean I've got friends at the moment who are having kids for the first time and they do disappear a bit and quite rightly they're they're in a sort of bubble of um of of, of being a new mum and um I I'm a firm believer in in like really allowing your friendships to flow and change mm. like you don't own anyone you like friendships aren't going to stay the same you're going to be really close sometimes and maybe a bit more distant at other times but they'll come back to you I'm just I just it's sort of like that um metaphor I suppose that we've been talking about all through this which is just like go along with life don't try and control it and there are there are friends at the moment that I I don't worry that they're like moving away from me because I just know that at some point they'll want me again. Like as in we all come back yes. together. I find that if a friend gets a new boyfriend, I feel like they're allowed a year of being a bit shit as a friend to just busy doing other things, mm-hmm. like hanging out with their friends. Yeah, yeah. And then like yeah. the honeymoon period will end and you'll come back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it is it is hard though, isn't it, to not be like passive aggressive and be like, "Hello, did you get this message?" and things like that. But um. Yeah, trust, trust the process, I guess. I have one friend who is very determined not to have kids and she is now, lots of our friends are now having kids. So she is now actively trying to make new friends who don't want kids so that they can have quite like synergist lifestyles. And I wondered if you've made, if you've actively tried to seek out new friends who also don't want kids or or at least have much more similar goals in life. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I was talking to my parents about this actually the other day. They're quite wise about friendships. I've got loads of different friends. And they were just like, yeah, your um, your friendships will change as you get older. 
um, we 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 can't have the same friends forever necessarily. Like there will be some that stick around. I've known some of my friends since I was really, really young, but um, your interests change. So obviously your friends change and the way you spend your time changes and, you know, the things that you're interested in changes. So also what's interesting, I haven't had to go and seek out new friends. I've just, they've kind of come to me, which I think also happens. Um, like I've got into swimming recently and I was thinking, I really want to manifest like a swimming buddy. And then, you know, there she is. I found her. Didn't take long. So I think also, yeah, trusting that people come to you. So we like to dissect celebrity culture. On yes, this yes love this. You worked at Glamour for a long time. You've been in the kind of media celebi world. You've also you're also like kind of talent in your own right, even though you might hate me saying that. Um, but oh, talent, yeah. no talent. And <laughs> um, what is your relationship like to celebrity culture? Is it something you engage in? Is it something you're particularly interested in? I mean, I'm on the, the sidelines. Like, and I, I like to have a little look. Don't really care about celebrities that much. Um, in The Success Myth, I have a chapter called The Celebrity Myth. Yes. And I'm ta- t- sort of talking just about how it's all a bit of a con. Like, you, you're not going to be happy just because you're famous. Like, we, we know this deep down. We just don't we just don't take it in I think sometimes so I'm fascinated by it but I think from like a journalistic perspective so without naming and shaming obviously um what what were some of the like red flags you noticed when you were interviewing celebrities or you said like um yeah people who are either very rich or very famous um what and they weren't happy what what were they saying that made you realize that during your interviews well, actually, I wouldn't really say that was necessarily something I got from the interviews. Oh, that was prep. more, it was more that they hadn't got it figured out. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily like I was sitting across from someone who was like pretending they, they, were unha- they were happy when they weren't. It was more, I wanted the answers. I was like, oh, you've, you've completed the game of life. Like you've got all the coins. You've, you're at the next level. Like tell me your secrets. And it was that almost kind of disappointment that I felt where I was like, oh, you also get up and like eat your cereal and look out the window and wonder what the hell's going on. <laughs> like, I was like, what? Like, that was more of the, the shock for me that yeah. they just hadn't, they don't have the answers. So that was really why I wrote that chapter. But then I did a lot of research into the psychology of fame and nepotism, how nepotism does not feel good for people. Like people want to feel like they've really earned their right to be mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, the, the, the worrying never ends like you can win three golden globes and guess what you're worrying about what you're going to be working on next that's the same as us <laughs> like it's all the same that's what fascinated me I think so true and the idea of I guess a rival fallacy yes once you reach this certain point you'll be happy or you'll feel successful is actually just an incorrect psychological phenomenon yeah (laughs) it's crazy that isn't it though that you like people would be like no no no, I would be happy if I published a book I know I would be and it's like you would be for a month and then you're worrying about the next one are you a proper like London girl could you ever see yourself moving out to the countryside as part of this shift towards Mm. joy in the small moments I've been thinking a lot about this recently actually um because it's such a 30 something thing to be like do I want to live in London anymore but I do. I, I want to live in a city. I love London. I love New York. I love uh, cities in general. I love that I'm around real life. I think I would really struggle if I didn't see lots of different types of people everywhere. Like, I, you know, people hate the tube. I love the tube. I love getting on the tube and looking around and being like, 
look look at everyone like we're all so different and look at what everyone's wearing and I yes, don't know I, 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 I also as a writer like I need to see stuff to write about it that's how I write my fiction um I don't sit in a room and make stuff up I I like write down bits of things that have actually happened and then merge it together in a false mm. not false but you know what I mean made yeah, up yeah, way but then I love getting away at the weekends and I love a bit of nature so I think you can have both You've really inspired me to take a solo holiday. So over the years, I've watched you go on a couple of different like writer um, weekends by yourself. And I've never done it. But every time I see you post it, I'm like, I just have to do that. I need to go away on my own completely and just immerse myself in like reading and writing. Yeah, some people are scared of doing it, aren't they? I am a little bit scared. I, well, I just, it's, I guess, not prioritizing even time with yourself. Like I've just never been on my own and I've had something similar where I've been with well we both have so I guess all three of us in that sense have all met our life partners quite early which has then meant that I haven't I guess embraced those opportunities to do really independent things because you're always like well well, if you go for a weekend away we'll go together Mm -hmm. yeah and if we're going to spend the money if I'm going to spend the money on a hotel or an Airbnb well like obviously we're going to do that as a special weekend away ourselves but actually I'm more and more feeling the real need to prioritize alone time definitely I love a solo trip I really make time for them in the year um I'm the same so when I go away with Paul it's an it's a lovely experience but it's just different because he's quite a doer he likes seeing things not like the tourist hotspots but he does want to go home and be able to be like we did this we did that like it's a real thing for him whereas I went to Barcelona for my um on my own recently for three nights and honestly I really couldn't tell you what I did like I slept I watched stuff on my laptop in my hotel room. I ate some nice food. I went for some long walks. I listened to podcasts. Um, I saw a few things. But like that, that's the joy of it for me, mm. that no one has to have a say in it. Yeah. Did you do any work? No, I did, I did do a bit of kind of journaling and writing down notes. And um, I discovered this amazing little bookshop, actually, which had like a courtyard where you could just sit with your coffee. It's quiet time for me, I suppose. Mm. I had so I have seven days well I had seven days I had to take off because I couldn't carry them over for November and my partner was like just go on holiday on your own and just write and I was like yeah I'm gonna do that then I chickened out and booked to go on holiday with my friend mm. and now I'm like why what and made you I'm really out? because I so I did do a solo holiday once I went to Paris for three nights on my own like four years ago <laughs> and I spent the whole time phoning my boyfriend being like wish you were here maybe Paris is the wrong place to do it because it's like a romance Mm. hotspot but um yeah you have to be in the right frame of mind I would say not always but I've been on trips where I've just felt really uncomfortable and actually just wanted to go home Mm. and there's nothing wrong with that so I think I really have to kind of get in the frame of mind for it I mean I know this sounds silly but how do you know what you want to do yeah because I can't imagine even waking up on the first day of like a holiday and I'd almost find it overwhelming being like what do I only me having no one else to bounce off what do I want to do today yeah but I think that's what I really need and would yeah. be really essential and empowering well that that's really I think like the whole the whole thing that we're kind of talking about here in, yeah. in terms of career love life whatever is like what do you want that's that that is like Oprah's big question for yeah. us yeah. is like what do you want she actually says that a lot um and it really is a case of waking up in the morning and sitting with a pen and, and paper and be like, what do I want to do today? And like write it down. It can be so small, but something will yeah. come out of that. And actually, I do find, I don't know about you guys, but my single, my friends who've been single for a long time are actually have a way more like sure sense of self. Yeah, they're than much I do. better at it, of knowing what they like, yeah. and what they really enjoy. Like, 
it's but an independence. Also, yes, you have to be totally. kind to yourself in that if you've not given yourself that space for a long time, you're going to take it's going to take some time. It's not going to come just immediately like it's going to be a bit of an experimentation and maybe you'll go and do something and be like do I like that and then you go oh, I don't actually enjoy that to kind of cross that off the list kind of thing so I think it's it's less about getting it right you don't have to get it right yeah, you just have to like dabble I think it's because we're so scared of being inefficient with free time so I'm like okay what if I book a solo holiday and then I don't like it or it doesn't live up to standards mm. then you've wasted three days of annual leave or something that's probably how you feel as well mm. well that's yeah. something I hear a lot I don't really think like that because I I'm like, oh, I would have learned something about myself even if I hated it. Yeah. Um, but I think that's an annual leave mentality, which I guess I don't necessarily have. But I hear that a lot where it's like there's an allocated amount of time. And if you don't use that time well, but that sounds very stressful to me. The words mm. annual leave are just so despicable. I hate Actually, annual my boss has banned them. She's like, just say holiday on your ask <laughs> office. Do not say annual leave. <laughs> I found it really hard, though, even being freelance now for like two years to shake free from that mentality so it's taken a lot even though I work after six o'clock like most days I still have six o'clock as this weird watershed moment in my head as a time of like pre and post work and I've had to really struggle to like carve out my own routine because it's been so ingrained I don't know if it's just because it's all the way back from school that you have like the Monday to Friday the weekends the evenings I don't know I still feel almost guilty not to try and shoehorn my work into a normal eight hour five day a week mm. time frame mm. yeah well I of course you do because it's been embedded and ingrained for years and years and years a lot of this is unlearning the culture and I, what I'm really interested in at the moment especially with my coaching with people is the difference between culture and nature it's like our, our human nature is actually you know a slower pace works better for us our nervous system needs to be calmed down essentially we sometimes want to rise with the with the sun like we we are kind of at heart you know move we want to move in a more animalistic way um but the culture is saying do this do that do this it's so hard to peel yourself away from it do you work Um, in the evening sometimes uh not really anymore Mm. no um i i think you kind of have to fight for yourself you have to fight for this free time and the the trick is really making sure in your head and in your diary that it, that your free time carries the most the the equal amount of importance so like for me that trip to barcelona where i didn't do anything is important the same as a big meeting the next week because it means that i'm you know statistically might live longer like if i take more breaks <laughs> yeah. like do you know what i mean Fair like point. i have to really carve out the time because i feel like it's important can I ask how you got into the coaching? Because, again, not to kind of glorify this idea of, like, wild productivity, but you've written six books, you had the podcast, you've got your sub stack, like, you've got personal engagements. Like, how did you find time to also then become a coach? Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest that that was an, yet another thing that added to the, the burnout list. Like, maybe it wasn't the best time to take that on. Um, but I think also things come to you at the right time because the things I learned in the coaching training were actually things that really helped me navigate burnout. So I'm really, really glad I did it when I did. Um, But I'm just really intrigued at how we can make our lives easier. And I think when you figure out something that works for yourself, you kind of want to tell other people. Not that it's like the same formula or anything, but there are so many tricks and tips and ways of thinking that, you know, you pick up along the way. And I think it's our human nature to want to share that. So um, I don't do a lot of one-on-one coaching. Um, I do it for kind of friends at the moment. But I think that's something that I'll do later down the line. 
Because I did feel with the success myth, it feels almost like you are being coached. Like you say, mm. to find your independent version of success and what it looks like for you. Like it feels like this very like compassionate coaching experience. Mm, that's nice. As you work I felt it. a bit coached today. Yeah, I just feel like you're so Coaching wise. energy. Yeah. yeah. That's so nice, honestly, because I think that that is my natural space. Mm. And I think I, so to be really transparent, like... I probably was on a bit of a trajectory to like become like known. Like if I wanted to be like famous, like there are ways I could have done that. Do you know what I mean? And I don't want that. Like yeah. I want to be behind the scenes more. I want to coach people. I want to help people. Um, that's where I feel good. And also that's something we haven't really touched on, I suppose, but do, do what feels good. Essentially. I think we're, we're told not to, but if something feels good, guess what? It's probably really good for you. <laughs> what if something I- feels bad, don't do it <laughs> what are like the daily rituals that just make you so happy like could be tiny but yeah what are some of the things you do every day that you love I love fresh flowers in my house um I mean not anymore but daffodils you know you can get them for like two pounds at the yeah. shop I'm like I love them so bright yellow I love I really associate you with the color yellow I feel yeah like I wear a lot yellow. yellow and obviously the love yellow. method as well yellow yeah. cover um I live near some really lovely green marshes, so I love a walk. Um, I love, like, getting dressed in the morning and just wearing, like, cosy, nice things. Do you always wear something nice, even if you're just working from home? Yeah, yeah, even if it's nice pyjamas. I love pyjamas. I just kind of... It sounds like I just want to live in a Nora Ephron film, but I think I just... (laughs) The little things are really important. Um, even like a nice mug that you're putting mm. your tea in. I love a bath. I love a sheet mask. Yeah, I love like moisturising. Um, but this again is, uh, it's funny because in order to really enjoy the small things, I think you have to like believe that you deserve them. And I think that could be a real barrier for people. Some people will be like, oh, I can't do that. Um, and I'm, in the, again, back to the coaching. I'm really interested in helping people crack open and be like, what's stopping you from being really nice to yourself? Very good point. I often find that when I'm struggling with work on an average day, I'll then sit there and beat myself up even more. I'll be like, right, you've got to sit at your desk and essentially end up like tearing your hair out. Whereas I read, um, I'm going to butcher her surname now as well, but Catherine Omerod, Catherine Omerod, Mm -hmm. her substack recently was about feeling a bit frazzled. And obviously for her, it was in the context of also having two young children as well as work stuff. But she said that on a day where she was kind of at the end of her tether, she went out and bought herself a bunch of fresh flowers and got her nails done. And I was like, God, that's so interesting because that's the opposite of what I do. When I'm having an unproductive day or a frazzled day, I kind of sit there in the funk and beat myself even more about it and just try and sit in my laptop and push through and actually I'm like oh my god I should go and get my nails done that day instead of saving the nails done as like a reward or a treat that's Mm. only when you've achieved xyz actually the days when I need the pick-me-up and that I'm not being productive anyway would be the far more positive ones to step back and go and do something that seems frivolous totally Mm. I'm a so I'm a really big fan of treating yourself first so, you know, we normally are like, oh, I'll have the cookie or the nails or the, the, the walk or whatever after the thing. I do it first. Okay. Because then I'm actually full of energy to go and do the thing. So I really I recommend that. trying that out. That's yeah. so good. Like get up and have a really nice morning doing what you want. If you can, this is very like self-employed, probably um, specific, but like, but even if you work in a nine to five, like go and buy yourself some flowers, 8am, come yeah. back, put them in a nice vase, then get to work. Like do something nice for yourself. Definitely. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. It's it's honestly the biggest boost. And also, there's this whole thing in more in the sort of 
coaching world or like the, the the therapy world which is you can't think your way out of a problem you have to act your way out of a problem so if you're in a funk literally put your trainers on just go for a 10 minute walk come back because because you can't think your way out of that you have to move your way out of it and I do that mm. all the time now and is it the wisdom of the kind of therapy and coaching worlds that has enabled you to give yourself permission to do these things yes yeah I think it's definitely definitely helped it's that awareness I know myself now I'm like oh you're doing that thing again like for example I'm writing my next book at the moment and um I don't know if you ever have this but you know when you're like right I need to finish this thing now I need to do it all now I need (laughs) to write 10,000 words today and I need to hand it in my whole body it's like me saying I need to travel the world today like and you see everything today. It's it's this, oh my God, I feel so clenched. I feel so awful. I feel terrible. And then the minute I'm like, okay, I just need to move forward a little bit today. And I have this little turtle on my desk, which is like little tiny steps. And I look at the turtle and I'm like, oh, I just need to do a little thing today. And then, because books get written over time, it's lots of little steps. It's I don't know anyone that wrote a book in a day. So I, I remind myself of that. I re- recently watched... Um Oh, what's it called? Where the guy takes a pill and his whole and he can reach like one hundred percent of his brain. Oh, limitless, limitless. And he, I do like that. And film. He, I really like film. And he does write a book in a night. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I want to do that. Yes. Oh my god, I know. I was it's so crazy. Jealous. So, talking of books, we like to have some culture recommendations from our guests. Um, yeah. Do you have a recommendation across maybe books, TV, film, podcast? I do. Okay, so books. Um, I'm really into Anne Patchett at the moment. Mm. She wrote, well, she wrote a load of books, but um, her two essay collections, she might have more, are called These Precious Days and This is the Story of a Happy Marriage. And they're, And she's basically, well, an incredible author who writes really, she's written long form essays for everyone, you know, the, the, the New Yorker or the big, the big places. And then her books are just sort of like, um, yeah, a collection basically of her best ones. Um, and I'm reading her novel at the moment called Tom Lake, which Ooh, okay. is about a story of a woman who used to date like a kind of famous actor and her daughters want to know all about it. And mm-hmm. I haven't finished it oh, yet. That sounds but, right. um, yeah, it really does. Yeah, it's, she's incredible. Um, that's sort of what I'm reading at the moment. I keep being recommended. I need to read right behind you as um, lessons in chemistry. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Every like... Mum's yes, book literally, club book. my mum has been trying same, to give it to me and then same. had to take it back because she had to do it for her book club. Yeah, same with I my mum. Yeah. yeah, I lent it to my mum. Yeah, <laughs> and she's excited about the Apple. Uh, uh, Brie, oh, La- oh, Brie yes, Larson, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is playing yeah yes. in in the series that's coming out soon. Um, you were saying Ali, you're not a TV person. Not a big TV person. So Paul will watch a film and I'll read on the sofa most nights. Um, mm. I, I, I don't know how I don't get distracted, but I just, that's sort of what I do in the evenings and wow. sit next to each other. Is that because you don't want to, you want to limit your screen time or you just don't find stuff on screen engaging? I just don't think it's my favourite medium. I think mm. getting lost in a book is way more exciting for me. Um, and it relaxes me. I think watching, sometimes watching something can stimulate me, especially if it's like gory or something. Like mm. I, I'm quite a sensitive person and I don't want to watch something that's really like alarming before bed. Mm. I want to read something comforting before mm. bed. Um, and then I, re- I reread like quite a lot of self-helpy stuff. Like I love Martha Beck. I love Julia Cameron. I love Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, yeah, I kind of just like what I like and I don't really stray from it. That's nice. Yeah. And what about podcasts? Podcasts. So one of my favourite podcasts is called Everything is Fine. It's a podcast for women over 40 
And I also love Sam Baker's The Shift, and that's for women over 40. I'm 34. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I am, like, obsessed with older women. There's also a podcast called 70 Over 70, and it's 70 people over the age of 70. And I'm kind of obsessed with life lessons from people who we kind of ignore in, in society, I feel. And they have all the answers. So, so yeah, I, I'm gearing myself up. I'm like, I know everything about the menopause. I know everything about Botox. <laughs> I'm like... Who's I, your, like, biggest older woman in spo? Elizabeth Gilbert, I suppose. Mm. So many great quotes from her in the book. Yeah, she's, she's had a huge impact on me. She's like the millennial woman poster girl, isn't she, really? Um, but I, to be honest, I don't... This is going to make me sound... I'm not sounding, like, big-headed. I, I don't look up really to many people. I'm sort of... Like, I want to be... In your own lane. ...doing what I'm doing. Um, not not that it's a comparison thing. It's more... I really feel like I have the answers to my life. I don't necessarily think other people do. So I, I think I don't really hold people up to, like, these incredible standards anymore. I don't mm. put them on a pedestal. I'm like, they're flawed people too, you know? What do you think of um, Stephen Bartlett's Diary of a CEO? So I know you mention it in the book. And I did notice a kind of, I guess, similarity in that you and Stephen are coming from similar places and that you've had like the shiny heights of success and then realised that that's not always all it's cracked up to be and actually connection with your community is irreplaceable in terms mm -hmm. of overall fulfilment. Are you a fan? I listen to them. Yeah. I think, I think he's a great interviewer. Same. And I think that he has created an incredible platform for that sort of content. Um, sometimes I feel like I shouldn't be listening in it but that's just me thinking like oh that's very personal but of course the guest has agreed to so good for them um but it's interesting we're in a time now aren't we where you know like psychotherapists and therapists are, are becoming famous we're in a time where mental health is being discussed in such a new way and maybe I feel uncomfortable sometimes because I'm like, oh, that feels like a lot to share publicly. But that's because I'm not on it. I don't share publicly like that. So that's coming from me. Um, I, I think it's incredibly though. helpful for people. I think mm. I'm, an, I'm way too much of an oversharer, but I will sometimes feel like I am listening to like a therapy session. Yeah. But they're, yeah, as you say, they're clearly fine with it. Yeah. And I think we're in a new era where Esther Perel's podcast, yeah. like you overhear actual therapy yeah, sessions. Yeah, like we are... It's really exciting. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan in general of like the bro culture podcast thing of like, I want to live till I'm 150 and I'm going to be like exercise every five minutes and I'm going to eat these protein shakes. Like, yeah, that, self optimization that, stuff. Yeah, the self optimization that I tune out of actually because I actually, I'm going the other way. Well, I'm, I'm like, grimly fascinated. enjoy Did your you life. Listen to the Brian. Oh, I guess you wouldn't have if you just said that, but the Brian Johnson interview on Diary of a CEO. Oh, yeah, no, I wouldn't. I, I, I don't just, want to listen to that. I find it so wild. What do you think is the most liberating thing you've ever done professionally? Probably stepping back from the podcast and stepping back from working with my old team, who I still love, um, doing less, um, not being that busy, mm. like super liberating. Love it. Um, well, even the fact that you're here today, not rushing, you know, like, oh, I've got to leave in an hour is actually really unusual. Yeah, I don't really it, do anything on Fridays. It's kind of my open it's day. It's really nice because it means, yeah. yeah, even just this conversation is much better not being madly rushed. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, Emma, it's been great. Yeah, it's, it's been really fun. So Thank so you. Nice. Thank you. It's been good.